The Hebrew Roots Movement is gaining popularity among Christians who reject the name of Jesus for the Hebrew Yahweh or Yeshua, who reject holidays like Easter and Christmas for Jewish feasts, and who largely abide by Levitical law. But while many who follow these ideas are sincere in their beliefs, the movement as a whole is contradictory to Scripture and even has the tendency to diminish the saving work of Christ and His gospel. This is part one of a two-part conversation with the hosts of Cultish, Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Songkrant on the Hebrew Roots Movement. And this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Jeremiah, Andrew, thanks so much for joining Relatable again. Today, we are going to talk about the Hebrew Roots Movement. So I'll just let y'all go. Will one of you just kind of summarize in your words, what is the Hebrew Roots Movement and how do we see it showing up within Christianity or professing Christianity? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much again, Allie, for having us on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and your audience here on Relatable. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that when we even look at a movement like the Hebrew Roots, it's many times when we look at different cultish movements that we kind of discuss and explore on our podcast, when you look at something, uh, for example, like UFOs or Scientology or some uh, Warren Jeffs, we tend to really think of it something that's really out there that we view from afar, that we view on a Netflix documentary. However, when you look at something like the Hebrew Roots, it's something that is very much in close proximity to really all of us. Uh, more than likely, I'm, there, there are probably people in your audience who have had a friend or family member start talking about adhering to the Hebrew Roots, talking about we need to observe the feast or talk about being Torah observant. Um, in fact, my very first introduction to the Hebrew Roots was actually at my church. Uh, my friend Gabe invited a very nice and sweet couple that uh, came came very nice, and I noticed that the husband was wearing this belt that had uh, sort of ta- it had tassels attached that were sort of hanging out, and it looked very odd and different in re- in relation to just the regular clothes that he was wearing. And I, I felt kind of awkward. It's one of those things where you see something, but you don't really want to say anything. So I pulled my friend Gabe aside, uh, Gabe aside, and asked him, "Hey, what is?" going on like what's what was he wearing and turns out he is wearing called something called a tassel belt which is something in uh, jewish tradition is based off of a verse in the old testament which talks it talks about adhering to the law and also adhering to the corners of your garments so it was just something that it was an extension of what many people believe that there is a resurgence where we want to uh, adhere to uh, Torah observance. And so it kind of breaks down uh, into many different categories. I have some bullet points I'm going to pull up here in a second. But Andrew, uh, I'm going to have Andrew jump in here as well, too. Uh, Andrew, we've done a couple episodes with uh, our good friend Andrew Schumacher doing it. How would you give a very broad overview just of their beliefs? And then we're going to kind of talk about where it comes from, but also the how it's the challenges because it's a very decentralized organization. How would you describe that, Andrew? Yeah, uh, the Hebrew Roots movement is diverse. There's no uh, structured uh, statement of faith or, or centralized leadership. We can find a lot of teachings from the Hebrew Roots movement 
uh, particularly online or people with Facebook groups. Uh, there are some churches that do teach Hebrew roots movement type of uh, teachings because it's typically when a, a pastor, sad to say, gets converted and then their church gets that way as well. But again, there's no specific uh, st- statement of faith for what they believe. But there are some specific things that Jerry did mention, like uh, Christians must ob- observe the feasts. They must be obedient to the law and the Torah. Uh, specifically, there's two different forms of theology, not forms, but two things that they adhere to. It's called one law theology and two house theology. Uh, one law theology, uh, it's also known as one Torah theology, uh, but it's a theological perspective that emphasizes the unity of God's law for both Jews and non-Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, it suggests that all believers, regardless of their ethnic background, are called to observe the entirety of Mosaic law as a way of life. So that's the commandments, of course. As Christians, I would say we should obey the Ten Commandments, right? But I'm not perfect by any means, but I should still obey them. Uh, feasts, but also even some with dietary restrictions and other regulations. But again, there's no centralized statement of faith, so people may differ in this area. And then there's something called two-house theology, which people in the Hebrew move, uh, Hebrew roots movement hold to, which is a restoration uh, movement, essentially, of uh, a lost tribes of Israel, that they're scattered descendants. This comes from the thoughts of, uh, you know, the diaspora which occurred prior to the coming of Christ when uh, Israel and Judah were overthrown by foreign powers and the Jews were dispersed throughout the nations. Anyways, they believe uh, that there's a specific role in end times restoration and things of that nature for the house to come back together. And part of that is through the observance of the Torah and the biblical feasts and things of that nature. It's time. It's time, guys, for me to tell you again that you need Adele Natural Cosmetics in your life. Like if you're looking to up your skincare game, you need to try Adele Natural Cosmetics. If you're kind of on this crunchy train, you're trying to uh, become more holistic, more natural, or just more thoughtful about the things that you're putting in your body and on your body, you should probably switch your skincare from all of that fake stuff with all the fragrances and the toxic content in it and instead get Adele Natural Cosmetics. It's all holistic. It's all natural. They care about every single ingredient that is put into their products. And that's why I use their facial cleanser, their moisturizing spray, their night balm on a daily basis because I really don't trust many other products to uh, to actually help my skin look and feel its best. I love Adele Natural Cosmetics. I love the family that runs the company. They're pro-life Christian and they really do make top-notch skincare. Go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout for 25% off your first order. That's AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie. But what's interesting is this movement actually prior to the Hebrew roots movement finds a lot of its roots actually coming from um, Armstrongism in the worldwide Mm. church of God. They have very similar uh, familiarities between the two movements because the Armstrongism died out after uh, Herbert Armstrong died in 1986 and they kind of repented. They had like a, a big repentance uh, within Armstrongism where they started denouncing all of these prior works, which were, you know, keeping the Sabbath on Saturday and the feasts. And a lot of people were actually upset with that. And some of the most early influential teachers, of the Hebrew roots movement actually came from 
uh, the Worldwide Church of God, which is a very interesting uh, correlation there. Hmm. I hadn't yeah. heard of Armstrongism. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so a big one. So Herbert Herbert Armstrong. It's if you know, uh, we've mentioned uh, Kingdom of the Cults by Dr. Walter Martin. Mm-hmm. This is a definitive chapter in that a cult, a non-Christian cult, an anti-Trinitarian cult that Dr. Walter Martin dealt with uh, during his ministry. And one of the primary things is that uh, Herbert Armstrong. He, like I said, he denied the Trinity. Uh, he had some very interesting views, but again, he had what was called restoration, a restorationist view, and what that primarily means. And it's something that you know we view different organizations we get messages all the time hey will you look at this group will you look at that group the one commonality so many of these organizations have whether it's an organization or just a charismatic figure where they always say that hey somehow along the line the church lost its message the true message has sort of gone away has fallen away but guess what I've found the truth or we've discovered the truth and you can only find truth within our organization. So you must follow me because I've obtained special knowledge mm. uh, of what was truly lost. And you, you do see this with uh, the Hebrew roots movement where they talk about how a lot of the, uh, a lot of Christianity has sort of fallen away, has embraced uh, Gentile pagan ways has sort of lost its root, but this is somehow something that's new. But in reality, uh, we believe there's nothing new under the sun. And so when you look at something like the Hebrew roots, the, one of the challenges is that it's it's decentralized. Right now, when you talk about the Hebrew roots movement, there's not an official uh, church headquarters. You know, there's not an official uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society headquarters you can go to or official publications. It's very decentralized. So no matter what we try and do, even in this conversation, to try and articulate their beliefs – there are going to be uh, groups and possibly even in your audience who adhere to Hebrew roots uh, theology yeah. or beliefs on some level. And they'll say, well, you're not representing us properly. Well, the, the problem is no matter who you do, if, for example, one of the major YouTube channels out there is called 119 Ministries, which if you've read Psalm 119, it talks so much about the hearings to the law, about how much that uh, psalmist loves God's law. Mm-hmm. But that is one example of a very large YouTube channel, but there's so many variations depending on who you talk to. You'll kind of get different interpretations of what sort of laws you should adhere to. Uh, But when you look at uh, Herbert Armstrong, and this is where – a lot of people have real like, where is this all coming from? Because it seems to be something that's only kind of really exploded as of late in the last decade or so. And some of it just has to do with the internet influencer era where people can sort of become their own sort of personality. So what they did in private, they can now broadcast to tens of thousands of people. But um, just, just uh, this is actually a, a, I'm going to read from a source here of one of our uh, research that we were doing um, is that Herbert Armstrong, his teachings, they hinged on the obligation to keep the Sabbath and the feast and the festival and kosher diet. Uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. Israelis. It was British Israelism and anti-Trinitarianism. And also, uh, Armstrong. He was already uh, teaching that to become a converted Christian, one must become spiritually an Israelite. And I'll read just a couple more things. And and what you'll end up seeing as we unravel this, maybe in the comment section, you see a striking similarity to the current beliefs in regards to what uh, Herbert Armstrong uh, believed. In fact, uh, this is somebody named, there's a man by the name of Joseph Track who was very involved in the Worldwide Church of God. And he states, for those of us who are in the Worldwide Church of God, it was the central it was the central plank of our theology. We believe that we were a faithful remnant of the people of God. We believe that we were the true Israel. We observed the Sabbath. 
and the feast for a very good reason. We were biological descendants of Abraham. We were not Gentiles. This doctrine formed on the basis for how we lived our, each day and for our view of the world and its future in prophecy. And so what you'll see you see these tenets where people need to believe they need to they need to follow the Torah, but one of the main emphasis that you'll see, uh, the one that kind of sticks out specifically, is that we need to observe the feasts that are mentioned in the Old Testament. These are something that still have to be uh, observed mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And so what you'll end up seeing, and, and Ali, if you have questions, we'll definitely jump in there, but... Uh, when we did the episodes on Halloween, uh, you saw a lot of people starting, even in your comment section, even in our social media, we didn't even talk about Hebrew roots when we were discussing the historical origins of Halloween. Yet, though people who adhere to that, they were jumping in the comment sections, well, no, this is pagan. We need to observe the feast. And so that's what you see a lot yeah. of times. You'll make a resurgence around Easter, around Christmas, around Halloween. In yes. fact, we did a recent episode uh, with our good friend uh, Michael Jones from the YouTube channel Inspiring Philosophy, who has some great content debugging uh, pagan holiday myths. And we were talking primarily just about, hey, we should try and have integrity when we do history and seek to tell the truth as Christians. And then you had a bunch of people who just jumped on very passionately. I'm sure they're very sweet person. If I met up, if I met up with them, I'd love to say hi and have a conversation with them, but they were very passionate and adamant that this is some, the feasts are something that are pagan and I'm sorry, not the feasts, but holidays, these holidays are something that are pagan, but the only authorized holidays that we can celebrate are these specific holidays listed uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, um, one other thing that I'll just uh, state here, and this is a quote from Herbert Armstrong, uh, and he states, he says, there's no, there, there is a significant amount of open criticism of these Christian holidays in the literature of the Worldwide Church of God. And this is the quote. He said, and Herbert Armstrong is saying, now that we, now we know the pagan origin of the Easter celebration, let's clear away the web of error that covers the truth about keeping the Passover, the memorial of Christ's sake. Or take, for instance, the other. Uh, most people today do not take the command of the Lord lightly or have or have, the, or have no validity whatsoever in following the tradition of men in observing Christmas. So when you look at someone like Herbert Armstrong uh, in the Worldwide Church of God, he's someone he's someone who really articulated this theology. And what's very interesting, if you follow the history, and we have an episode on the Worldwide Church of God you can check out on our podcast, but um, it started to really sort of disseminate and dismantle in the 1990s, and that's almost exactly part and parcel, which a lot of people who've examined this movement, that's when you start to kind of see all this fragmentation from all different areas, different spheres of these sort of observance to uh, these uh, specific aspects, selective aspects, we believe, of the Torah. Okay, it is time, y'all. It is time to give up Starbucks. It is time to stop getting your coffee from places that hate you. You know, I had to do that. Several months ago, I was getting a coffee drink that I really like from Starbucks and it's really convenient. And I realized, one, I was spending too much money there, but also that I was spending too much money at a place that is directly fighting against everything that I hold dear. And while we can't boycott everything, we should do our best to support companies that are supporting the things that we believe in. One of those great companies is Seven Weeks Coffee. That's what we drink in our house and we really love it. They donate 10% of every sale 
sale to pregnancy centers. So they are supporting over 500 pregnancy centers across the country to protect babies in the womb. Seven Weeks Coffee at Seven Weeks at Baby is the size of a coffee bean. Amazing company and amazing coffee. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use code Allie for 10% off. Sevenweekscoffee.com, code Allie. What are your thoughts so far, Allie? What questions do you have regarding this movement? Yeah, I'm thinking for people who are like, you know, I don't know anyone who believes this stuff. I know that I have seen it on my own Instagram with the messages and comments that I have received. So just so people can kind of understand what we're talking about and things that they have seen, but maybe didn't know to link it to a whole movement like the Hebrew Roots movement. And again, as you said, uh, Jeremiah, this isn't necessarily indicative of every representative of everyone who is in this Hebrew Roots. But what I see a lot is they refuse to say Jesus because they say that's Roman. So they will say Yeshua and then they will say Yes, we do need to abide by the Old Testament laws because if we follow Jesus, Jesus abided by the Old Testament laws. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And um, also the same thing with not celebrating Christmas, not celebrating Easter because these are pagan holidays. They might even say the name of Jesus itself is pagan and that Christianity has been paganized. Um, And so we need to go back to the roots. Actually, some would argue to be more like Jesus, and we're emulating his life by following the law to the letter. Now, if I bring up, and I have before, and this was even before I knew that this was kind of a collective thing, when you bring up Galatians about not being tethered to the law anymore, and if you try to uphold one part of the law, then you've got to uphold the whole part of the law, but Jesus actually fulfilled the law. They claim that it's, that's not what Galatians means, that it's not talking about that. I'm not really sure exactly what the argument is, but that might kind of help people understand what we're talking about. Very often it's the use of Yeshua. Very often it is saying basically that everything that Christianity has kind of come up with when it comes to traditions and who Jesus was has kind of been paganized and modernized over time. And they see it as a form of like reformation going back to the Old Testament law. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. Uh, in fact, so one of the challenges even with this as well too is that it's so it's so broad that there's no way even if we went three hours we could encompass every yeah. uh, nuance. And again, every single group will it will always there's always there's so many different variants of people who disagree with each other with what gets applied. But I'll just uh, start off in, in bite-sized pieces. So there's another movement on top of the Worldwide Church of God that started in the 1930s. And this is something known as the Sacred Name Movement. And primarily, this was a movement that taught that there's only certain ways you can address uh, God, not only in regards to name, but in pronunciation. And if and almost in some, in some cases, it was almost extreme to an extent that if you pronounced the name of God wrong, right. then you could lose your salvation. And it's something that's just very interesting because, I mean, I as a Christian, you know, I've been on world mission trips, and one of the coolest things to be able to see, whether it's, whether it's in, a, in a Muslim country or in somewhere in Mexico or really any culture, when you see them, the translation of their specific Bible, and when you see them worshiping in their specific language, it's so amazing to see. Um, in fact, and there's, so there's just so, just so you know, too, there's nothing wrong or taboo of referring to Jesus as yes, Yeshua, yes. for example. I'm glad you said that. Like 
in, in fact, um, one of my favorite things too are seeing people, you know, testimonies of people who are Jewish who come to find out that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, we did an episode with our good friend, Dr. Michael Brown, who is uh, mm-hmm. Jewish. He is a Jew- he is an apologist. He has done the most debates with rabbis, whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And it's, it's, incre- it's, just, it's always very awesome to see. But what's interesting is that what I've seen is that they try and take something that honestly isn't a bad thing, but then they try and make it this very uh, legalistic, very tribalistic have and have not. It's like, you need to pronounce it this way. And you've seen, I even started seeing it on my social media a couple of years ago where people would start saying, like, praise the Lord, and they would take out the vowels. Now, this is something that mm. you would see in earlier you know, traditions where right. people, when they would translate, they have this sort of sacredness for the name of God. But mm-hmm. as far as us as Christians, I guess if you felt in your own personal conscience, this is something I should maybe do, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll throw you a bone there. But what's concerning about this movement, I also just want to say too that the, for the majority of people that you're dealing with, you're probably dealing with your friends, someone who genuinely loves the Lord, but in many cases are in error. And it's and and, and also you think about too, even the, the climate today, where you see a lot of churches just preaching very wishy-washy practical sermons, but there's no deep theology being taught. And a lot of times the Old Testament is ignored. And so there's this vacuum where people are genuinely curious. And then you have somebody like Andy, Andy Stanley, Andrew Stanley, who's saying that we need to detach from the Old Testament. Yeah. And right. all of a sudden, they're just hungry to go back there. But what you see, and, it, and it's the case with everything, you think of like purity culture and the conversations we've had with Ginger Duggar. And now people are pendulum swing from purity culture all the way into radical LGBTQ plus as a right. response to that. So that's overcorrection. So almost in the same way where you look at a lot of just sort of wishy-washy theology the church has, the church does have their responsibility in some sense for this movement. It's filled with a vacuum. It's a pendulum swing, and it's an overcorrection. Uh, Andrew, what thought? What what other things could you talk about the sacred name movement and some of the errors and concerns we would have concerning that movement? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> sacred name movement in relation to Hebrew roots. Uh, I think there's a biblical precedence uh, for this that we that that's shown to us in the book of Acts. Uh, we can go to Acts chapter 19 with the sons of Sceva when Paul is in Ephesus and he's performing miracles uh, and he's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, right? Or uh, let's say Yeshua, if I'm even pronouncing that correctly. But what happens is, is there's these sons of Sceva who are essentially Jewish exorcists. And what they do is they travel around performing exorcisms or incantations. Josephus actually notes in his uh, Jewish antiquities, he says there's people who invoked even Solomon's name in expelling demons. Mm. So this form of Jewish mysticism was going around during this time. And they saw that Paul was casting out demons in the name of Jesus and performing miracles. And so what did they try to do? They followed him into Ephesus and they tried to do the same thing. They saw these demons and they tried to invoke the name of Jesus. And if someone can actually speak Hebrew very well, it would probably be people that are uh, Jewish in descent, if the sons of Sceva even were. But what actually shows happening in Acts chapter 19 is they were overpowered by the demons. They said the name Right. But that had no power in it. They actually were driven out, butt naked, derobed. These mm. quoting priests were derobed uh, by the demons and overpowered. They say, I know, I know Jesus. I know Paul, but I don't know you. 
right? So in terms of the sacred name movement, does the name really have power? Is that what is that what we're being shown in Acts chapter 19? No, it's the fact that Paul, through apostolic authority, as a messenger on behalf of Jesus, had a spiritual authority given to him to cast out the demons through the name of Jesus. It's not the actual name that had power, but it's the Holy Spirit that was working in in throughout uh, with with him, you know? And right. so in terms of a sacred name movement, I, of course, there's things that you may find important, but really ask yourself, are you, do you really think you're saying it correctly by, by what other than the grace of God, do we know, uh, I am that I am right. God had to graciously give that to us as a form to even grasp the concept of the eternal God. Uh, is that, does that name in itself actually capture the eternality of God and his omnipotence, omnipresence and omniscience? No, no, it doesn't. So, it's something that if we got to think logically consistently and actually go back to the Bible to see if we see a precedence of these things occurring within time. And in early church history in Acts chapter 19, we see the very same thing. And the Bible demonstrates it wasn't the name. It was the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifting that Paul had. And that's important, too. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of even thinking biblically about feasts or keeping the Sabbath, like, we got to understand it's important to us as Christians to want to obey God in his commands. And that's where we can fall into some certain traps, right? Because someone can come along and say, well, you worship on Sunday. That's not on Sabbath. If you really want to be worshiping God correctly, you must worship on Saturday. And you're going to go, wow, you know, I, I love God. I want to worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, I really want to worship him the right way. So you that you start falling into some of these teachings by by certain, mm -hmm. you know, aspects within our being that want to worship God the correct way. Yeah. Uh, but when we do that, uh, we start, you know, throwing out some historical precedents we have through the through the Bible. I mean, Hebrews chapter four, you can go in and read it on how Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Right. And there's other scriptures that say that there was worship on the Lord's day, the resurrection on the set on a Sunday that was occurring. I mean, we have rest, perfect rest fulfilled in Jesus mm -hmm. and we can think about the feasts in the same way. Jesus, he is such an awesome guy. Go read the book of John. Go read John 8 through 10. And we have Jesus standing up during these feasts proclaiming, uh, I am the living water in front of everybody. Right. And then he says, I am the light of the world during uh, the feast. I think it is of Boos in John chapter 8, referring to that this, that these feasts were a shadow of the Messiah right. who was to come. And right. Jesus says, I am here. Look to me. Don't look to the feast. Look to me. He stands up in front of everyone and says it. And then the question you got to ask yourself too is, can you actually celebrate the feasts like they did back then? And this is what I mean by it. Those feasts required sacrifices. They did. And God says yeah. you must sacrifice in specific locations. Can you do that? Can you do uh -huh. that? No. Can you sacrifice where God said that they were to perform these sacrifices no. And then the other question you got to ask yourself is, is, can you only celebrate the Levitical holidays? Is that what it is? Can you not celebrate anything outside the Levitical holidays? Well, there's holidays Jesus celebrated that are in the Bible. John chapter 10, he was there during Hanukkah. That's not a Levitical holiday. Jesus celebrated it. Right. So we got to we got to think uh, consistently. We got to use all of scripture when we're making uh, some convictions before we try to place those convictions on others. I'd mm -hmm. say if you want to go ahead yeah. and say Jesus fulfilled uh, the feasts of booth. So I'm going to celebrate it my own way with my family in the backyard pointing to Christ. That's fine. Go ahead. You have the freedom in Christ to do those things. But it, it, the line gets drawn when you look at somebody else and you say to them, 
yeah. you must do X, Y, and Z. And if that's the right. case, right? Galatians, you brought it up earlier, Ali. It says, those who seek to be justified by the law, the grace of Christ has no effect on you. We really, we really have to be careful when we're starting to create uh, man-made traditions that Paul warns about in Colossians uh, chapter two, because they have an appearance of promoting self-made religion, but they're of no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh. So that's so it's real stuff. Okay, let me tell y'all about Good Ranchers. We got Labor Day coming up. You should probably order your box of Good Ranchers so that you have something to grill out, to grill when you have your friends over to your backyard or you're just in the backyard with your family or you're going to the lake or the beach or whatever you're doing. You want to make sure that you've got high quality American meat to grill on your grill, and you should get that from Good Ranchers. It's hard to even know if the meat at the grocery store is really from America. A lot of times it's imported from overseas. It's just packaged in America and it says made in the USA. It's a complete gimmick. With Good Ranchers, you know that the meat is actually from American farms and ranches. You can feel really good about that. Plus, for every box you order, they donate 10 meals to people in need. I just love this company, the mission, the values that they stand for. They're Christians, they're pro-life, they're conservatives, they love America. America like you and I do. Plus, they offer an amazing product in better than organic chicken and craft beef, all different cuts of steak and seafood. We love Good Ranchers at our house. You will too. So go ahead and order today. Hopefully you can get it in time for Labor Day. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie for $30 off. GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. I'll just say uh, one other thing regarding the feasts is that like we, I think the feasts are a beautiful thing. Uh, like one of my favorite experiences, if I can recollect, I was at a uh, church event, at a church I used to attend, and there was a man by the name of Neil Pitchell uh, who is Jewish. And it was right around Easter. And what he did is he had us all participate in a Passover Seder dinner. He did it the a very strict, traditional Jewish way, but then he kind of broke it down line by line, really item by item with how the whole feast works and how people back during that time were really looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. And in it, he's telling his testimony. And so for me, like I in that experience, like I walked away with such a deeper appreciation for what I have as somebody who's non-Jewish, really experiencing in the blessings of the covenant, even the church that uh, we attend. There's such a broad variety of different backgrounds, ethnicities. You know, you think about even some of the woke churches where they try and just like, hey, we need to have this race or over another. It just, when you see the, when you see the broad variety of cultures and backgrounds who now are reveling in the blessings of this Jewish Messiah, it's amazing to see the the area of error of where this comes from speaking very broadly is that when you start utilizing the feast that you have to celebrate this as in a have and have nots, then you have then you have an issue of concern because now all of a sudden you're you're creating some divisions, you're creating tribalism, and so it's not just something you have an appreciation for that makes you get a better understanding, appreciation for Christ and what He did. Now this becomes part of your tribal identity, and you start to look down and shun upon others who who don't see the same. And there's a lot of very different, and it's very similar, almost in a sense, to a lot of the sort of nuanced. Um, 
debates, sometimes within the Twitterverse and on Christendom, for example, like head coverings, right? So that's something that I've noticed a lot of has taken a conversation as of late. And even in the church I attend, I've noticed there's been a couple of women who are like, oh, there's someone wearing a head covering. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And like, it would be in a situation where, okay, well, that's how you genuinely feel. If you genuinely feel convicted about how this you, you should present yourself in worship, then great. I'm not going to, I don't have a bone to pick with you. I think where the difference is when you start making a have and have nots and say you start looking down upon and shunning those who don't have head coverings, that that's where we would take issue. Um, but yeah. it would be very similar with Hebrew roots. And, and again, there may be different, different variations of Hebrew roots would also differ on women and head coverings, but that's another small uh, aspect of it. Have you found in what you do know about the movement that salvation for those who follow this is tied up? in keeping the feast and keeping the law that it's actually, mm. uh, you know, going to heaven, being saved is dependent upon keeping Levitical law as much as possible. Yeah. I, I think one um, way to think, go ahead. Andrew. Yeah. I think one way to think about it, since it is such a diverse movement, there are people who uh, adhere to some forms of Hebrew roots movement teachings, but they do believe that the grace of Christ is mm -hmm. what, saves them but there are different parts of the group that are also anti-trinitarian they're anti-trinitarian yeah. uh but and there's also ones where it's like well jesus says also if you love me you'll obey my commands right so if you're not obeying christ's commands and you're not ignorant to the fact that these feasts are mandatory and you're willing willfully disobeying according to them then uh salvation would be dependent upon that but again not all of them hold to these forms of teachings but it is something that is definitely out there and you need to be worried yeah. about i mean yeah. we're told about it second corinthians 11 verse 4 different jesus different gospel different spirit so if we start messing with the gospel jesus is going to get toyed with right all of these things are going to start changing uh and the rabbit hole is is not seeing the perfect fulfillment of Old Testament typology in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, he fulfilled those things. Uh, the feasts, uh, the sacrifice from the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the promise who was to come. And if you start uh, blurring the lines on those things, you can fall into a trap uh, and by God's grace, I, I doesn't. I hope it doesn't happen to anybody. Yeah. But then you'll go mm. running back to the feast to justify. You read the book of Hebrews. It's all throughout Hebrews. The author of Hebrews keeps saying to them, "Look, today is the day of salvation. Don't be like the Israelites who hardened their hearts in the wilderness and turned back." He says, "You have heard the gospel. Don't turn back to Judaism. Yeah. Stay strong because yeah. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. It's in the book mm. of Hebrews. Really read that. Pray about that. Yeah." Yeah, I would say I would say also just to capitalize on what Andrew is saying is that for the majority, I believe, of our friends in the Hebrew Roots movement is that the majority of them, I would say, are born again. They love Jesus. They love the Lord and they want to be pleasing in his sight. Mm -hmm. But because of their misunderstanding of the difference between the law and the gospel, they're putting on themselves a yoke and a burden that's unnecessary. However, it is some of a nuanced bag of wolves and sheep in the sense that one of the primary views of uh, underlying within the majority of Hebrew roots practitioners is that you need to adhere to, on some level, the Torah or Jewishness, depending on how you interpret it. But the more Gentile that you get, 
that's where you start deviating into paganism. And so what you end up seeing is that throughout the majority of church history, the majority of church fathers are, are non-Jewish. It just happens to be the people that God raised up. So when you look at, uh, for example, Herbert Armstrong, one of the things that he – his arguments against the Trinity was against St. Athanasius, who in the first century, he if you read the book On the Incarnation or even the statement Athanasius Contramundum, he was the only church father who was standing up really against all these heresies against Arianism, but Herbert Armstrong's primary argument is that he was Gentile, and so therefore, just because of that nature of him being non-Jewish, well, he was adopting pagan ideals, and he kind of wrapped it into the Trinity, and you see the same thing with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They make the same argument of the Trinity being pagan, invented at the Council of Nicaea, so if you start adopting a worldview that says that the more Gentile you get, the more you are to adopting being pagan, then you start to question everything. And the reality is when you look at the whole uh, central point of church history, and again, there's, there's people who are probably way, who are way more knowledgeable than Andrew and I when it comes to church history, but the primary thing that the creeds have done is that they've really have protected the doctrinal integrity of the essentials of the faith, namely the, the Trinity and salvation by grace through faith alone, and, more, and most importantly, the deity of Jesus. But when you start going down this rabbit, hell, rabbit trail in many different ways, and you start taking it. For some people, they follow this. The logical conclusion is to completely derail and almost deconstruct, in a sense, where you then deny the Trinity, the deity of Jesus, and then your whole identity is literally the the, the Torah almost becomes your Lord and Savior. And Jesus is just a means to follow the identity as Torah observance, not necessarily your identity in Christ. Okay, moms, if you are like me, Your biggest concern, the thing that you are thinking about most is the well-being of your family. I mean, there's not a second that goes by where you're not thinking about the health, the well-being, the needs of your children. And one way to ensure that they are taken care of is to make sure that you have an emergency uh, medical kit that has your necessary prescriptions uh, should some kind of emergency arise where you don't have access to the prescriptions that you would be able to get from the pharmacy and through your doctor. So say there is some kind of supply chain issue. You're not able to get antibiotics. You're not able to get the prescriptions that you need or your kids need. It would be really nice knowing you have a year supply of these things in your closet or in storage somewhere, right? That's what Jace Medical provides. They're the only service in the U.S. that prepares you for medical emergencies with antibiotics and the prescriptions that you take on a daily basis basis. So how it works, you go to jacemedical.com. They put you through their telemedicine process. It's highly confidential. I've talked to these guys. They're very trustworthy, really an incredible service that they've got going. And then they get you the medications, the antibiotics, the that you'll potentially need, and then the daily prescriptions that you need. And then you put it somewhere safe. You have a year supply of that. So much better to be safe than sorry. It's just another step that you can take in preparedness to make sure that your family is taken care of should things really go crazy. Go to jacemedical.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's jacemedical.com. Code Allie. jacemedical.com. Code Allie. guys that was part one of our two-part conversation make sure that you tune in tomorrow for part 
two. We will be diving into this even more, comparing it to what scripture actually says, and then also just looking at different reactions that Christians tend to have toward culture that aren't necessarily biblical. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back here tomorrow. 